Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight and thank you for the words that you gave Moses uh, for the children of Israel. And Lord, we want to listen closely to you. And I pray that tonight we would have hearing and understanding uh, for our day. Uh, Lord, really to listen what your spirit is saying and uh, to live our lives in such a way, Lord, that uh, we could go forth and do your will. Uh, and this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, uh, as we've been going through this study of Deuteronomy, and uh, I find it good, and we're going to do it again tonight, to read through the chapter. So um, Deuteronomy chapter 9. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, descendants of the Anakim, who you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak. Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you and so shall you drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart, after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land, but it is because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart, that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of those nations, of these nations that the Lord uh, your God drives them out before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you. Then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them, and they have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them, and blot out their names from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier 
and greater, greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and two tablets of covenant were in my, in my two hands, and I looked. And behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, and made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first. Forty days and forty nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wicked, doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the, the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also, and the Lord was angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. Also at Taberah and Masa and Kibroth Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandments of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord forty days and forty nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin. Lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out of your mighty out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. Was we uh, really come to this place which I believe uh, probably is the most valuable for us studying the book of Deuteronomy to take this this uh, this viewpoint. And again, I, I, I'll sound like a broken record, but this is important. These are the words Moses spoke to the children of Israel. And, and the words, uh, which really is where we come to study it this way from the Hebrew title for this book. Now, in in English, we say Deuteronomy, which is a translation of, uh, I believe it's the, if I, I think it's the name in the Septuagint that's called Second Law, if I, if I have that right, which is the Greek translation of Deuteronomy, because Moses repeats. Now, we come to this chapter, and uh, I've entitled it uh, today, I've entitled it Additional Words of Faith. We have been looking at these words that Moses said and the things that he said uh, for the children of Israel, um, to for them to do what God had called them to do. Now, uh, honest about you, with you about this chapter, um, Moses is not getting back at the children of Israel. He is not calling them names. He he is being 
very honest with them as he calls them to remember. And you'll notice in this chapter, he brings forth that they would remember the way they have rebelled, disobeyed, and provoked the Lord, and the way they have sinned against God, the way they turned aside quickly out of the way to serve other gods. And he really brings a reminder for the children of Israel of the past sin of the people. Now, we could camp on that, and if we camped on that erroneously as children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we have no direct equivalence where God keeps bringing up our sin over and over again. However, there is this wonderful truth of what Moses brings up in these words to serve as a remembrance, actually to to show them the path that they have walked and, and just how close they were to being children of wrath and being destroyed. And God would have destroyed all of them, but yet they they remained in that place. Now, when I bring it up this way, and uh, what they need to go in and accomplish, and, and the days, the work, the children of Israel are going to go into the promised land, and uh, you know Moses is not going in, but, but Joshua is going to go in, and they are going to, in physical battle, destroy kings and cities. I mean, so your mindset of what they're going in to do, they're going to go and destroy cities that are strongholds. And as Moses is taking this to account, again, spirit-inspired to bring this up in this way. Now, it it reads this way tonight, and it starts out very familiar like chapter 4 or even chapter 6. Hear, Israel. Hear, O Israel. We, We love it when we say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, our Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. We roll it up in little pieces of paper, tuck it into a mezuzah, nail it to your doorposts, you know, roll it up in a piece of paper, put it in a, a leather box, put it on your forehead. And we love we love that type of, it's called the great Shema. But do you realize when Moses is saying these things, that these words in chapter 9 are as important. Now this came out of chapter 8, where Moses tells the children of Israel, hey listen, God led you this whole way, and he squeezed you, if you will, my word, right? He humbled you. He, he caused you to hunger. He, he brought you this whole way so you'd come to one conclusion. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. Now, chapter 9, then Moses says, now listen, or hear Israel. And you'll notice that as he starts to say that, he is not looking backward. Now, he talks a lot about where they've come from in chapter 9. But everything about them knowing where they came from is so they can... Go forward. And uh, this is valuable for us. If your past, right, as a Christian, is not resolved and settled between you and the Lord, you will not be fit to go forward into the kingdom of God. Think of all the words Jesus said to us. He, he, he gave warning, if you do not hate your own life, if you do not, and he, he went right down the list. He says, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And all these things that could get in the way, think of his parables. Cares of this life, deceitfulness of riches. They grow up and and the, the thorns choke out the word of God. Everything that Jesus said of the things that could come into your life was to give warning that you could go forward and walk with him. Now with Moses, you'll, you'll notice it comes this way. It starts with hearing that they might go in and take over the land. 
And then, and then he brings it right to this issue. And, and, and he's honest. The cities are strong. Hey, the people are stronger and mightier than you. And the giants are in the land. And, and that's, that's simply what he's saying. Hey, he says, you, you have to listen to this. And then he takes him to understanding. And if you look at, really, it's three all the way through six where he wants to impart to them the understanding that, again, what they are, but what God is. And then he describes here what the Lord's going to do. Now, remember why they didn't go in? Why didn't the children of Israel go into the promised land when God said, go up into the promised land? Well, we know they rebelled, so we might say they did not go in because of rebellion. But you know why they really didn't go in? Because of unbelief. And that's where, really, when Hebrews, you know, that book in the New Testament describes how it is that because of the sin of unbelief, they did not believe God when God gave them the command to go up. And so now, second time around, if you will, right? Now, it's not the second time, but now think with me, Deuteronomy, right? Moses is going to say things in chapter 9 that we never had before. Do you know how you know how close Aaron was to dying in the whole golden calf incident? We didn't get that back in Exodus. Do you know where we find out about just how close God was to to destroying Aaron right here? Do you know how close the children of Israel were to being children of wrath? I mean, God's angry with them and worshiping other gods and they are on the verge of being destroyed. Well, what's God going to do? Well, I'll bring to your remembrance, and Moses has said this, when God said, all right, I, you guys can go up, but I'm not going to dwell among you. I'm not, I'm not going to be here. And Moses says, well, then we're not going anywhere. If God was not with them, Moses says, we're not going anywhere. Now look at what Moses now, again, Moses is staying on this side. And what's the most important thing that the children of Israel need to know? And he gives them the understanding. And it's this. The Lord your God is he that goes over before you. Now, that's important in what they're going to go and do. Now, how valuable are the words of Jesus to you? Behold, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But you know, our Lord's done something for us. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus has crossed over. Right? He's already crossed over into glory, into heaven, and again, resurrected body, and he's, and he's ascended into heaven, and he has prepared a place. And his word is, I, if it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I go to prepare a place, and then he says, I will come again. Now, as I put this forth in this way, what they're entering into is they're entering into battle where they're going to defeat the enemy, but Moses reminds them, yeah, the cities are tall, the enemy is great, and they're giants, and he says, it's the Lord will go over, and look at how the Lord goes, as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, and then look at the last part of three, so you shall drive them out. Now, when I come to this study, and, I mean, we, we have a choice uh, the way that we view this. Now, I'm already alluding to something tonight that, that Jesus has crossed over before us into heaven. And in that, in that power, if you will, of the truth of God's mighty working power over sin and death. 
Now, for us as believers that when we die and we have that promise that Jesus has already crossed over and defeated sin and death, and that that mighty working power for us that that assures us, and and I get it, I get why the Old Testament for many of the believers for, for hundreds of years, they had the crossing over the Jordan as a picture of going to heaven. Now, I see why they do that. However, the analogy falls off when they get into the promised land and they are facing battles and they're facing sin and they have to root out the enemy. So then that analogy falls down. So for us to, you know, for us to take that viewpoint and prepare like this is us preparing for heaven, I think we miss it. We miss a part of what God has intended for us in this life that we would go forth and not just have victory in our own lives over sin and death and over hell with confidence, but there's a work to be done. Now, I use this phrase, and I I say it, the days determine the work. The days determine the work. And in the days of Jesus Christ, the work of Messiah, being anointed by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the scriptures, the things that Messiah would do, you do realize Jesus healing the blind man and healing the deaf man and and all the way that he did that was specific fulfillment of Scripture, identifying the Messiah. So the works of Messiah to come and proclaim and declare these things. And then he does something with the apostles when he goes. He gives them their commission that they're to go forth into this world and make disciples and to baptize into the name of Jesus Christ and name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and, and to teach to observe and do all these things. Now, we know this, and and this is where I come at this tonight. And why I want to share it in this way is when we, the church, hear and understand the work that God put the children of Israel into and led them into, I don't know many anymore in the church who take this same viewpoint over looking at where the gospel has not been preached, where the enemy has strongholds, where there's whole nations, whole people groups, where there's where there's where the enemy has bound people and they don't know the Son of God and they have no knowledge of salvation, that we as the church would look upon that and say, Lord, send me in. Go before us. Prepare. And, and this is where I, I want to stir this up for us, that those who listened and heard and thought this way. Now, simply, Deuteronomy 9, hearing and understanding, right? Hearing and understanding. If we hear... Right? That there is a there is a warfare for the souls of men and women, and we hear that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation, and that those who do not believe and receive the gospel, they're not saved, then it compels us to go and and we're asking God, cross over before us. Your mighty working power. Lord, you prepare the hearts. You, Lord, you make a way so that when we get there and we begin to do these things, and I, I guess I don't really want to lose that what I think to be one of the most wonderful things that you would hear God. Now you can look at and read read the stories of those missionaries, and they simply prepared themselves to go because they believed they heard God, and and they were called to go. And what's the guy who went to to China? The most famous one, Hudson Hudson Taylor. Right, And you can read about how from a young age, and, and as he's going to school, and he just begins to prepare himself in every way to go into this place 
And with hearing and understanding, and he's looking into China, and he's looking with that view, and I don't know if he was overwhelmed. I mean, you can read about that, and you can, you can figure that. I mean, the children of Israel are going in to, to fight, but we were told to take the gospel to every nation. And think of the things that have popped up since Jesus was here. Think of the religions, the strongholds, or the nations, the hatred, the governments, uh, the, the world religions. Just, I mean, if you thought about taking the gospel into India, you wouldn't just be afraid of one other religion taking your life, the very real persecution and threat, and yet we're actually indebted <coughs> to an understanding that others have taken, and I, I borrow it. Now, we'll get into a couple important things here before we wrap up tonight. Understanding. Your viewpoint of the cross, right? Colossians 2.15 describes Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took all, he took all the handwriting of requirements that were against us and, and nailed it to the cross. And, and our, our righteous requirement of what we needed to do to be right with God, Jesus satisfies that at the cross. I think that's 2.14. 2.15 describes Jesus triumphing over the principalities and powers through his death on the cross, he triumphed over them in it. And that's really the mighty working power of God that Jesus has gone before to defeat sin, hell, and death. Or I'll do it this way, sin, death, and hell. And now when we go forth, and, and what do we need? Well, the same thing the apostles needed to go forth, which was the mighty working power of God. We need the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know... Uh, I guess we shouldn't even have to know what others are doing, but what will we do in our personal lives with this truth of hearing and understanding? Well, what's important? Well, remember I said understanding is really three through seven. But if you look at this, look at look at four through six and understanding one thing. He tells the children of Israel that God is not putting them in there to dispossess the other nations because of their righteousness, but rather because of the wickedness of those other people. Now, here's my viewpoint. My viewpoint that if nothing happens anymore in this world concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is going to come upon those that have rejected Jesus Christ in this world, and they are under wrath, and they are going to face that judgment and that punishment for their sin. Or again, I'll say it this way, for their unrighteous works. And this is what the Bible reveals. Now, in saying that to us, you might think, you know, that 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 God is calling us, or God wants us to go do this, or or God God has taken the church and and He looks on us in, in such a way now that it's because of our own righteousness that we we go and do these things. And I'm here to remind you: the truth is this: the truth of four through six is that the children of Israel were not righteous in their own righteousness, but God was going to put them in. And with that understanding, he was going to give that to them, not for their righteousness, for they were a stiff-necked people, but because God would fulfill his word. Now, what's the Bible say to us? And, and it's really, I go right to Titus chapter 3, and I invite you there. So they were told not to speak in their heart. Again, think about what we do in our hearts, right? We're not, it's not necessarily what we're saying to one another, but when we're alone, and it's what we're saying to ourselves, like, you know, I am a pretty good Christian. Or whatever we might say about you know, 
I, I think my I think I've arrived at this place where my goodness I, I, I really feel like a Christian now. And we speak in our hearts like that, but then this is why we have the scripture. Because if we start talking like that, I'm a pretty good Christian and you know I wasn't that bad before I got saved. Right? We speak in our hearts like that. Now, some of us don't speak like that. But here's what the Bible says in Titus 3. Titus 3.3 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. And, and this is really where, where I come to. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs together to the hope of eternal life. Now, straightforward, concerning the work of preaching the gospel and the power of salvation, uh, it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes, Romans 1.16. For in it, right, and therein, or again, <clears throat> the next verse, therein the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now, what's my emphasis? My emphasis is understanding. And before we get on to, when, when we get to verse 7, then he's going to take them to remember. But the understanding is we, we were not righteous and we cannot do works of righteousness in order to get to God. And this is what the Bible describes as a righteousness of faith. And I think I got another one down here. Works of righteousness. Oh, we'll get to that in a bit. We'll, I'll, I'll let that sit there for right now. So where are we at? As believers, come to our church. We're a good church. I mean, what has replaced the gospel? You'll enjoy our services. We have these things to offer you, our worship music, right? But where's the church equipping the saints to be prepared to go forth into this world and not to preach our own righteousness, but to preach Jesus Christ and in his gospel and that righteousness that comes through faith in him concerning the power of salvation. Now, oh, here we go. It's, it's right here. <laughs> Romans 10. I found it in my notes. If you want to turn there, this is, this is Paul describing what went wrong with Israel. They rejected their Messiah. But why was it that they rejected their Messiah when the Messiah came? is because they were seeking something else. And Paul says it this way. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Romans 10.2 For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that a man which does those things shall live in them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks, speaks this way, 
Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall ascend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near unto you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That word of faith that we preach, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, really everything for us is at stake the moment we leave righteousness by faith. And that's where Paul tells that to to Titus and describes not by works of righteousness. What's Paul say of himself to the church uh, of the Philippians? He had by himself lived a life in such a way where he sought to establish his own righteousness according to the law. Now, what did Jesus always say to the Pharisees? Saul, Saul of Tarsus, Apostle Paul being a Pharisee, Jesus would would call them hypocrites because they sought to outwardly give the appearance of righteousness through the through the keeping of the law for everyone else to see, and they sought to establish their own righteousness that was outward. And yet inwardly he says they were full of dead man's bones. They were like a they were like a grave. And and this is the place where Jesus really really then brings us forth. And that's where the Apostle Paul picks that up and he says he says, I, I, I sought to establish my own righteousness. He says, I count it all loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he says, who I suffered I, in him, he says, I've suffered the loss of all things that I may gain Christ. Now, one of my friends uh, who I'm, I'm, I plan to see here that later on this month, a uh, pastor friend of mine uh, out in Arizona, and he, uh, he caught COVID bad in, uh, I think it was October or November last year. And uh, in, in catching COVID, and, uh, or maybe COVID caught him, I don't know which way it was, uh, but he ended up needing to go into the hospital. And they began to speak to him almost as he came in, do you want to be resuscitated? Do you want, if, if things go wrong, do you want to be resuscitated? Do you want to be intubated? And it took him through the list of things. And, and he says, well, I think I know what that is, but talk to me about that. And, and they just started talking about all these things. And he says, and he says uh, I've served Jesus Christ for 56 years. And he's never, uh, he's not, how did he say it? And he says, I've served him for 56 years. And he said, oh, this is how he said it. And if it's time for me to go see him, I want to go see him. So don't, don't do any of these things like that. And, and they're looking at him like, what's wrong with you? Because, again, he's interacting with the world. And he says, do you have a piece of paper? He says, and, and they gave him a, a, piece of, a, a piece of paper and a pen. And he, and he writes on this, pe- this piece of paper. For, he says, for me, to live is blank and to die is gain. Now, we as believers know that verse, right? For, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he handed him that paper and he says, so this is why I, when, I go, when I go to Jesus, I gain. I, have, I lose nothing. I lose nothing in this world. He says, and so, so my friend has, uh, in much of a similar way, when brought into that situation, is simply describing 
Right? Like the Apostle Paul, I count this life loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he's witnessing to the, to the nurses who are taking him through that. And he says, he says, what do you put in the blank? For, to me, for me, to live is blank. And he says, whatever you put in that, when you die, you don't gain. There's only one thing you can put in that blank that when you die, you gain. And he says, when I die, I gain Christ. I'm with him. And, and this is that place. Now, when I'm saying all this, we still haven't got to the body of which I think is the heart of, of it's, it's the teeth, if you will, or the sharp edge of the sword to what Moses is preparing Israel for. And we as believers rarely will go here because we'd much rather go to church with nice people, good people, good looking people, right? Properly and, and people who've got their lives all in order. Well, if you found out about Calvary Chapel and all, all the people, and, and I was going to read the book Harvest before I gave this study today, but I didn't think about it till way late last night. But if you ever want to, to understand the mighty working power of God and grace that was brought to the men who got saved in the early days, and they were almost immediately called into the ministry to take out the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach going through names like Raul Reese, Mike McIntosh, Jeff Johnson, um, Steve Mace. And, and there's about five or six guys that the Bible describes, the Bible, the book Harvest describes, they're not in the Bible, that Harvest describes, and, and it's this work. And you know what it was? Without shame declared the mighty working power of God to deliver these men from their sin, right? I, honestly, uh, both of them, Steve Mays was shot and left in the gutter to die. And a family who had been going to Pastor Chuck's Bible studies, listening to them, te- listen to Chuck teach how they're to be a good Samaritan, they saw that happen. They went and got him out of the gutter and brought him to health and took him to a hospital and saved his life. Mike McIntosh had, had sniffed so much glue that he had destroyed so many brain cells. And, and he, he actually had thought somebody, somebody put a gun to his head with blanks and they shot, they shot the gun and that sound, it was so close. He thought for, I think it was for, for almost three weeks that, that the side of his head was blown away and he couldn't figure out how he was still alive. And God healed him, restored him. Now, where this comes to, and, and this is why what Moses does for the children of Israel in 7 through 23, and I've read it, and, and for us, we as believers, it, it serves well to remember the sin that we have been saved from. Now, if you look at it this way with the children of Israel, they are children of wrath because of their sin, rebellion, provoking the Lord to anger, disobedience, serving other gods, and God was at the place of, of destroying their lives. And even in the place where Moses is up meeting with the Lord, fasting, praying, getting the law, and getting and all those, they had corrupted themselves, and God simply says to Moses, let them alone, step away, let me destroy them. But instead, Moses steps in and prays. Now, since I'm talking about this tonight, I'll, I'll say it to you this way. Kay and, Kay and Chuck... They would, they would, as they lived in Southern California, they would see the hippies. 
And I'll be very honest with you. It was Kay before Chuck. And she's like, Chuck, we got to do something. We look at, look at their lives and, and, and they don't, that they're, they're lost and, and they're, they're following all these things. And they began to pray. Kay began to pray. And it was when a few hippies came into their church and in teaching the word and preaching the gospel, they got saved and the Lord opened up the floodgates. Now, how I'm looking at 7 through 23 tonight, the sin that the children of Israel used to be in, Moses brings it back up to them to serve the purpose that they could always remember where they came from. The sin, the rebellion, the wickedness. And for us, the, this, is, this is my thing, because Satan will bring up your past sin, right? Satan will throw it back in your face, and then you're working through, or he'll sow lies, or you'll have some temptations. And, and then sometimes we can struggle with, well, what is that? But the reality of, of something I found to be great value in my own life, and this happened for me when I was down in Mexico one year on the mission, one of the mission trips, and I'm up super early because time zones and everything's whatever, and I'm up, I'm up really early, and I, I skip my Bible, and I, and I go where nobody else is, and I just start meeting with the Lord, and immediately the Spirit starts taking me through my old sin. And I'm like, is this Satan like keeping me from meeting with the Lord? That was my first thought. But then I realized something. You know what the Lord did? He took me through all of my worst sins, he led me through the worst of everything I'd ever been through, and and it was detailed, and he right from one right to the other, and I simply began to confess my sin unto the Lord, and in detail confessing sin, and you would think that it would have been a horrible morning to repeat and remember everything I'd ever done, just I'm talking the bad stuff from a young age, and then and what the Lord did is He took me through, and I agreed with Him, and I said, Lord, that was sin when I did that. And I confessed my sin, and he cleansed me. And I came, I came through that time alone with him, and I've, I've never been back there ever since with what the Lord did and, and all the things that he cleansed. And, and for me, this is how I'm looking at this tonight. Moses brings this one word, remember. Remember. And he brings their sin to remembrance, and he brings back how, how they provoked, how how stiff-necked they were, how rebellious they were, and, and he brings up their idolatry, and he reminds them of, of all those things. While Moses was waiting for getting to the law, they got into sexual sin, and, and then all that trouble, and he brings that back up. And I give it to you in this context. right? Remember what we were. book of Ephesians says, children of wrath. So in describing for the church how you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He, he describes it. And you, he has quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins when you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Recognize those verses? That's Ephesians 2. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our conversation in times past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Well, to me, the real effect of part of this type of remembering is to remember that before you were saved, you were not a good person. See, what can happen when the Lord has been working in your life for many years and you experience some of that sanctification? You can actually forget what? You can forget just how much of a, re of a rebel and how you resisted God and how much you hated 
doing his will as an unbeliever. Now, I present this to you in this way. What happened for me when I was down in Mexico that year was, was nothing short of a washing. Now, when I gave you the Titus 3.5, right? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and then the renewal of the Holy Ghost, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's when you're saved, right? But how many times do we go back to before we were saved and actually... Right? When I got saved, I wasn't going in detail on all my sins. I was convicted over my sin of being an enemy of Jesus Christ and not with him. But this is what that serves. And that memory, and all it did was bring me back to this truth, which is 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, if the children of Israel are going to stay on that side of the wilderness, never going to enter into the promises of God, never going to go do great and mighty things, they're never going to go fight the enemy, they're never going to seek to have victory over anything, they're not going to have any progress, any gain, what does it matter? But the moment they do what? The moment they say, I'm going in. The moment we as believers say, I'm going the moment we say, I'm going to go take the gospel there. I'm going to establish this. I'm, I'm going to go witness to that person. And, and as I say that, this is, this is the real effectiveness that when you're sitting and talking to somebody, if you, haven't, if you haven't the memory of what it was for you when you were a child of wrath and disobedience, what will you be doing when you're talking to the other people about the Lord? You'll be looking to see, well, if they're a good person or not. Yeah, and, well, you, oh, that's bad. Or, and, and we kind of do things like that without even thinking when we come to realize they're just like me. The things they're doing, I was doing, and <coughs> I've been reconciled to God, and it's that plea that they need to be reconciled. Now, I'll leave you with the last section uh, since I read it all ahead, which is 25 through 29. At the place where Moses is at between the Lord, when, when the children of Israel are under the wrath of God, what does Moses do? Verse 25, he says, I fell down before the Lord. Fasting and praying for 40 nights. 26, I prayed unto the Lord. And his plea to the Lord, do not destroy the people. Okay, You've redeemed them. Now, here's my viewpoint. My viewpoint is this. In all the in all the hearing and understanding and, and having now been established in the righteousness that comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ, remembering just how wicked we were before the Lord saved us. And what I describe as wickedness is anything right, that rejects that gift of salvation, any sin, sin of unbelief, any of those things, and our viewpoint of abhorring that evil that was in our lives, remembering our disobedience, remembering our rebellion, because it serves this purpose to what, what I believe where Moses goes. Moses, between him and God, he could not, would not, did not just say, okay, God, okay, destroy him. So now I give you a viewpoint of the days in which we live. We're at the place in the world where we're, we're this close to the church going up and judgment of God coming down. You do understand that's what the book of Revelation teaches. The church is caught up in, in the rapture, first seal opens, and the Antichrist comes onto the scene. 
He's revealed once the restrainer is taken away. What comes with the Antichrist is death, war, famine, and pestilence. And I think it's in, not in that order. Uh, but those ride with the other three horses, and a third of the population dies as the Antichrist is revealed in this world and takes over. Now, where are we at? I, if if this reaches your heart's desire and you know what you've received and you know the depths in your heart what God has saved you from and you're looking out into the world, can you possibly say, okay, Lord, destroy him? You can't, can you? And this is my plea to us. If we can ignore the plight that unbelievers are under and say, oh, that's okay. Or, I mean, probably the dumbest thing we as Christians can say right now, they got what they deserved. We may not even like somebody's decision, even as believers, oh, they deserve that. You you hear yourself? There's not a one of us who would ever ask from God, give me what I deserve. Mercy implies guilt and says, Lord, Lord, don't give me what I deserve. Grace says what? Grace says, Lord, I, I don't deserve eternal life. And I, and I need that. And my plea, again, think of this chapter as I lay it out. Hearing and understanding, remembering you were, you were delivered from your past sin. And I'll say this in detail. So Chris was talking with me right before service, 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And, and Chris just took that word all, and he goes right through the list, and he says, each and every and all and any, and he just says, it's all of it. You know how important that is? And to know that you're cleansed to the core of, of that sin, my, my call to us, we need to pray. Time is short. And you know maybe our time is short, or the people we're praying for, maybe their time is specifically short. Moses is pleading for God not to destroy the, the children of wrath. They're under God's wrath because of their wickedness and their sin and their disobedience. Now, I know it's Israel. I know they're his chosen people. But what were we before we were chosen by God? We too were children of wrath, and now we're his own peculiar people. Intercession. Do you know this is one of the primary things of the church is to pray? I told a lady today after service, we were just talking about I, talking about her and then her daughter and where her daughter's at. And, and I simply said, you, you've got to pray for her. I said, the only, the only thing I can figure out in all my interactions when I was rebelling against God as a Christian, when I was running away, all I can figure out is God answered my mom and dad and my brother's prayers. I have a hunch that my grandma was praying for me too. Because I think God listens to grandmas and little kids a lot more than some of us because their their pleading, their plea is different. So I, I simply bring this before you that that this is our lives. And I can't read the Bible and be unaffected. If you can read the judgment that's coming upon this Christ-rejecting world and be unaffected, what are we? Or what are you? And, and I, I never want to read the Bible in such a way where I can read all these things and then be completely unaffected. Joel Rosenberg, may, might be familiar with him, uh, and I haven't checked him out lately, but years ago, and he, he had written a couple books, and, and he wrote a book before 9-11. And it was still in manuscripts, uh, still as a manuscript. 
And he had this plot where, where, where those of the House of Islam, Muslims, had, had hijacked planes and, ran and flew them into a building. And I don't know if you're aware of that with Joel Rosenberg. He had a manuscript that had that in it, never published, and he gets a call from his publisher who'd been reviewing the manuscript, and the publisher is like, how did you know? And the Lord did that with him two times on a world scale. He's writing fiction, and what he's writing as fiction comes true. People started listening to him after that. And you know what he did with that? And this, I, last time he, I was at the pastor's conference out in California where he, he came and shared with us. And, and, he, and he just laid this whole thing out of all the things that, that all these things that God showed him and he just wrote them down. and All the things that had happened in the world that God showed him ahead of time. And then his plea to everybody afterwards, he says, I'm setting up this ministry called the Joshua Fund. And it's a ministry that we are going into the Middle East, because that's a lot of what he was talking about. And then he wrote several books. And a lot of it was centered around prophecy fulfilled for Israel and end times. And he says, he says, this is what we're doing. And we're seeking this out and we're praying. And we're going to go preach the gospel to the Jews. And we're going to preach the gospel to the Arabs. We're going to preach the gospel to the Palestinians. And he knows it's not a real term. He says, we're going to go preach the gospel to everyone who will listen to us. And he says, we're going to be right there. And we're going to, we want to preach the gospel because we recognize this is the center of prophecy being fulfilled. And he says, we're going to go there. We supported a guy from, from Colorado who was doing, we, we supported him for, I think, about two or three years who was going into the Middle East. And we, we kept sending him money every, every month. And he writes me a letter one day and says, he says, this is what's happening. We have joined together and we're going to serve with Joel Rosenberg. And he says, and so your monthly support is no longer needed, that all these funds are in place and we're going to go preach the gospel to, and again, his group, and he was in Lebanon and he was preaching to, to the, to the, uh, to the uh, Muslims in Lebanon. Now, I'm here to remind us, okay, we're a small church plant, right? Small church, Grand Forks, North Dakota. And, and seemingly, you know, all these things, you can read about what's going on in Ukraine. And you read, I mean, there are churches who are actively sending people to meet needs and preach Christ. The church in Syria, when war broke out there, preaching Christ. And, and we have a view. If we have a view to what's going on in, on in this world, I can't sit by and do nothing. And so that's a part of actively being involved. And we're, we're getting ready to, to send another team down to continue to work with uh, the churches that we support in Mexico. And I'm actually working on going to another place in Mexico next year and trying to do two different works at the same time because I believe God says, I want to use you in Mexico. Now, each and every one of us in our lives have a choice of what we do. Have we, have we been cleansed from our past sins? Were our past sins really, really bad? Now the righteousness that I have is imputed to me in Jesus Christ through faith in him. And therefore, you know what Paul told Titus? He says, then be careful, right? Be careful to maintain good works. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. And now that he's washed you and cleansed you and renewed you by the Holy Ghost. And he says, what? Now be careful to maintain those good works. And that's good and profitable to men. And 
That's it. If your good work is prayer, best work. What's the downside to prayer? There isn't one. You get in your prayer closet and you just start going through. And maybe you're, maybe, maybe God has put Ukraine, because of all that's going on in the world, the church in Ukraine and just praying for them to be strengthened and preach the gospel. The gospel goes forth. Maybe you're looking at a view of what's going on in the world and you're thinking Ezekiel 38 and 39. You're like Russia, Turkey, Iran, and you're reading these things. And, and when you're reading these things, are you just getting excited about the destruction that's coming to them? Or are you pleading with God, say, Lord, save them? How many of those in the army are going to be saved when, when they're there and someone starts talking to them about these things? And do you know what's going on? And do you know why you're here? Because I know guys like Joel Rosenberg will be there, Joshua Fund. They, got, they have so many people now serving in the Middle East. And they stayed there. They, they're there. They live there. And they gave their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's enough for tonight, right? But this serves, this serves us well to listen to the words and, and, and stir that up. Uh, and I talk with my friends and, and where, where they're doing and going. And, and, and we as Calvary Chapel, we need to be stirred up again. We really do. There was a time when a lot of the guys were just like, they were going, 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 and going out. And that all came to a halt. There's not a lot of guys going out and starting churches. And we need to be revived again. To go back and like be reminded, listen, understand, hear, and then get on our faces and pray. Time is short. How close are we to the Lord coming to catch the church away? I think it's close. So let's pray. Lord, make us ready. So our prayer tonight. Lord, we've seen you do mighty working things with others. We've heard of things. Lord, we've gone and done some things. We support Lord, we pray and we're asking you to affect the change in our lives. Lord, even as we consider Grand Forks and and what this has meant to me for, for now over 15 years, Lord, that you would have a church here that teaches the Bible and you would have this mighty working power. Lord, those prayers don't die. And we're asking for you to bring forth a work of salvation in these last days. We pray for the city of Grand Forks, East Grand Forks. Lord, it's my heart's desire to see this and to have this. So, Lord, we're crying out to you, Lord, that, that you would send forth helpers and, and laborers. And, Lord, you'd send forth those that want to see Grand Forks saved. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.